Hi, this is Beth AQ, and this is the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. The Glass House is a space for spoken word artists, poets, sound makers, audio storytellers, emerging cultural leaders, thinkers, writers, and anyone who celebrates story as a means of self-expression, self-representation, and community building. I hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at BethanyAQ or the Triple R website. Everyone in the world has gone to bed one night or another with fear or pain or loss or disappointment. And yet each of us has awakened, arisen. There is the nobleness of the human spirit, despite it all, black and white. Asian, Spanish, Native American, pretty, plain, thin, fat, vowed or celibate, we rise. Yes, good afternoon. Triple R is where you are and you are in the glass house today. The place for people to celebrate stories, stories as a means of self-expression, self-representation and community. And I think we all need a bit of a bit of storytelling in our lives right now as we battle what's happening out there in the world. Um, but we're all in, to get in it together and we've all got it. My name is Eliza and I'm filling in for Beth AQ this week while she's hopefully putting her feet up and having a bit of a cuppa, taking a break. Shout out to you, Beth, for a brilliant show that you host each and every week. Um, before I go anywhere, I want to acknowledge that we are broadcasting today from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I want to pay my respects to all the elders past, present and emerging. Wherever we are in this country, we're always on Aboriginal land and sovereignty has never been ceded. I've got a few treats coming up for you today. Just shortly, I'm going to be joined by Benny Solar, who is the director of Melbourne Spoken Word, to chat about their annual Spoken Word Festival. It's currently online and running until August 9. And a little bit later, I'll be chatting with Chris Saclier, author of Vote For Me, a book for primary school age students to understand preferential voting. And that's going to be released next month. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. So as we know, people all across Melbourne and in many parts of the world right now are currently staying home as much as possible to stop the spread of COVID-19. Um, I guess this means in a spoken in a spoken word world that artists haven't been able to perform as they usually would in a time when many people and many artists alike are craving that chance for expression and to come together as a community. That is where my first guest, Benny Sola, comes in. Benny is the director of Melbourne Spoken Word, whose online all-accessible annual spoken word festival is currently underway, connecting poets from around Australia and the globe. Benny, have I got you on the line there? Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. Lovely to have you here. Thanks for joining me. 
Uh, yeah, it's my pleasure. Um, so the festival runs until August 9 and it features a huge list of artists of the likes of Tabani, Schumar, Alison Whitaker, Emily Zoe Baker, Melanie Munninger and many more. But I thought to start off this discussion it would be great to talk about um, just Melbourne spoken word in general. What were the origins of it, Benny, and what was your journey in bringing it to life? Um, I think it started out... Uh out of like this desire to bring a whole bunch of the open mics and some of the spoken word events together around Melbourne and kind of create like a central like discovery point on the internet for people to like find out where they can perform and go watch gigs and stuff like that. So it started out as a thing just because I was going to a lot of open mics and um, there's lots of different places where you found out about gigs. It just I just wanted to like make it more accessible for people and easier to discover because. Um, the spoken word scene is very big in Melbourne, but sometimes for a lot of people it's like underground or kind of hard to discover. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's it's really cool because online is sort of where you started this. And obviously in this current day and age that we're in, um, online has become a more, more important way of connecting than ever. I guess like as you've hosted this festival online, what has it taught you about community? And, like, particularly the spoken word community in Melbourne, like, has it been... Um, how does it cross those borders that other people might face in sort of going to live events or, um, you know, that different space of connection from being in your home as, be as opposed to being in a venue? Um, it definitely feels weirder. Um, it does really point out to me, like, how important like when you go to live events like it's not just the performances that you watch that are the most important parts but it's often like the kind of chats with people in the beer garden afterwards of people you see regularly that they really mean a lot and then to we're trying to find ways for the festival to not just like showcase performers but to have places we can facilitate discussion and kind of hanging out I guess like hanging out online with um with people as well because, um, like, that community aspect is, like, just as important. But I think um, the benefit of online is, like, there's a lot less kind of geographical barriers or, like, if you don't feel like leaving the house that day, well, you don't have to. You can still, like, catch a gig, which is, like, awesome for some people. Yeah, definitely. I love that. Um, and I love how kind of in the framing of this festival it's your sort of yeah, pushing or playing with this idea of not having borders and you've got lots of international poets and spoken word artists who are joining the bill. Um, yeah. And, yeah, definitely in this time, I think it's a really interesting time in history where it, globally everyone is going through this one pandemic, um, but obviously the socioeconomics and the politics are key drivers for how it unfolds in different places. Um, I'm really interested in how, like... This, the kind of stories that have come up in this process or in some of the performances from different parts of the globes. Um, or from, yeah, from, I know you have some performers from Malaysia and places like that. Can you tell me some of this, the like, performances you've experienced so far? Um, well, uh, we have someone performing on closing night uh, who we showed a little bit of on opening night um, from... Ebony, Ebony Stewart, she's a poet. Um, she won Women of the World Poetry Slam a couple of years ago. We had her here in Melbourne. Um, but she sent us a video to to showcase on closing night that kind of really kind of talks through the experience of, like, being black 
um, being a black woman in the U.S., like, during this time and kind of intersecting with kind of um, what's going on with the pandemic, but also Black Lives Matter and stuff like that. Um, so we've got stories like that. We've, um, uh, we have have a bunch of, like, Indigenous poets that are also talking about kind of the kind of, I guess, parallel conversations that are happening at the moment with death, deaths in custody and then... Um, and then, yeah, like, people from Singapore and Malaysia, they have this, like, added thing of um, not only are they kind of dealing with the pandemic, but also um, dealing with, I guess, their government's kind of censorship policies and, like, trying to kind of uh, deal with that sort of stuff. Like, um, it's not kind of cut and dry for them about where they can perform and, like, what they can put online because, um, yeah, people are watching them at all times, so it's a bit, like... Yeah, a bit of a tricky situation to navigate. Yeah, definitely. I think um, that's something that I find so fascinating about about it is that you know there are like very intense political things happening across the world right now, and I mean, I guess in lots of ways they're always happening, but mm -hmm. the kind of newness of this situation has maybe created more of an avenue for people to connect to that. Um, also, like something that I've found personally bringing it back to sort of spoken word and poetry is that in this moment in history like I've been compelled to kind of revisit writing poetry or revisit connecting to more creative parts of myself which I think a lot mm -hmm. of um, a lot of people are in that position you know wanting to document and lean into those feelings that they have and there's also just a lot of time by yourself, right? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So what role do you think that, like, spoken word can play in kind of liberating people? Our festival has always been about, like, not just, I guess, like, being an audience member and watching kind of professional poets, uh, like, perform or whatever, but it's always been about, like, participating as well, um, like, through open mics and stuff like that. And, like, this festival is no different. Um, we've had a bunch of, like, open mics where people sit submit like pre-recorded videos for things um we have fresh voices tonight on our facebook page from six o'clock um and that's for new emerging poets sending in sets but people anyone can send in a video um before tonight and like we'll play it on the live stream as well um so people can participate and we've had like zoom call open mics where people kind of share um um so we're definitely like trying to find those avenues where people can still kind of participate and like yeah great I love that have you had a lot of sort of newcomers to it um or and people who might not have you had anyone express to you that they usually wouldn't do it but are kind of getting more involved in it now um not exactly we've met a lot of people that are like from different parts of Australia or um I guess different parts of Melbourne that wouldn't usually get out to like kind of inner city like northern suburbs gigs that are able to that we like might have known of previously but like because of the geographical barriers are no longer there that people are able to participate like in different ways which is really cool and like poets that I've seen like in other festivals around Australia that are able to like finally come to a Melbourne festival when previously they couldn't yeah, which is really cool. that's so awesome um Thinking about, like, your own, like, you've been performing spoken word for years now. Yeah. Um, what is, like, what is it 
about spoken word for you? What is the thing that you love about it the most or that drew you to it in the first place? I think I started out, like, talking about, like, big political issues. Like, I wanted to be an activist poet, and then the thing that kept me sticking around was more that they kind of gave me a space to tell my own stories and, like, have, I guess, like, a personal growth through telling those those stories on stages. And the thing I love most about Spoken Word is always that I always feel like I can tell an audience of strangers or, like, an audience of other poets a whole bunch of, like, really personal and vulnerable things about me um, and navigate that, like, sometimes much more than I can do with, like, a normal conversation with friends and family. Um, And I think spoken word has always done a really good job at, like, holding people when they want to tell those stories. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, yeah, when you watch performances of spoken word, like, the thing that always moves me like as opposed to maybe reading reading poetry or reading the written word or having someone tell you their story straight up mm-hmm. is like for I feel that the performance element of it gives you kind of this space to um to maybe go into it a little bit deeper like it gives you does do you feel like it gives you a bit of a like a shield or some armor by performing yeah I feel like the audience like like a good spoken word event in Melbourne like um the audience is your armour or your shield. They, like, will carry you through all of that and, like, kind of give you the confidence um, to kind of speak really openly about things. Yeah, cool. Because, I mean, I guess it's a very human art form, isn't it? Like, you're all... And to be in a crowd full of people or to be in an online space full of people who are all in it for that same kind of connectivity and sharing and... um, advocacy or whatever it is it's it's very human mm-hmm. um so back to the festival uh it's going to close with a 12 hour live stream on twitch mm-hmm. featuring yeah. over 40 poets how yeah. is that going to go down um so i've been like live streaming a little bit like as my part-time job um like outside of the poetry scene as well especially during the pandemic so i'm kind of keen to like try out Twitch for the poetry scene because I think it's a really cool platform. Um, So I'm going to be sitting at my computer for 12 hours um, (laughs) playing videos um, like overseas poets, um, like local Melbourne poets, um, and we're just going to play through, like I think we've got 49 poets at the moment, um, play through their videos. Um, There'll be like some giveaways and some games and stuff um, throughout that and... uh, yeah, it'll be fun. Like, people kind of hang out in the chat and, like, um, and the way we're uh, paying for it, I guess, is we're raising money on the stream as well to support the poets um, that are kind of lost work because of COVID and because they kind of go out and perform. Um, so we're trying to kind of raise money for them at the same time. Awesome. Love it. Community looking after community. Yeah. Um, are you going to have to jack yourself up on coffee for that one 12 hours straight yeah it'll be like i think it's like 12 p.m to 12 a.m so it's just like um lots of red bull and uh, <laughs> hopefully the like um the chat and the kind of interaction that you get from it kind of keeps my energy up and the things. adrenaline i'm sure yeah cool so just one one more question maybe um mm-hmm. what's like what's the thing that you're looking forward to the most about the rest of the festival um i'm doing a cool thing on my own twitch channel uh, next week, um, we're trying out this new thing where we uh, get poets into drag to lip sync um, their favourite poems from like TV and stuff like that. So I'm going to lip sync to the 
um, poem at the end of 10 Things I Hate About You. So I think oh. that'll be weird and different. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. Yeah. Um, what a classic film. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for joining me, Benny. Um, yeah. For those who just tuned in, I've been chatting with Benny Solar, who's the director of Melbourne Spoken Word, about their annual Spoken Word and Poetry Festival. That is an all-online, all-accessible digital festival featuring over 30 events and workshops, and it's underway now and on until Sunday, August 9th. Mm-hmm. And you can find all the deets at www.mswpf.com.au. That's, that's right, eh, Benny? Yeah, or um, our Facebook page is also a great place to find out about things. Awesome. Thanks so much. Um, Speak to you soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. Um, so my next guest that's going to join me right now is Chris Saklia, who has worked as a primary school teacher and a lecturer educator and is also a children's book author who has written for television, radio and is the creator of the Kids Own Kids Only podcast. But today I've got her on the air to talk about her latest book, Vote For Me, which is a book that explains the preferential voting system in Australia. It's set at a class at the fictional Mount Mayhem School and is brought to life by the well-known Australian political cartoonist Kathy Wilcox with her illustrations. Chris, have I got you there on the line? You have. Thank you. Welcome. Thanks for joining me. No worries. Um, So I guess to start with an obvious question, but an important question, what was it that inspired you to write this book? Uh, As you said, I'm an artistical educator and a children's author. And while there's a lot of information out there on preferential voting and there are books that explain elections, there are no kids' books or, or really any kind of story or narrative books that explain preferential voting, which, which is what we use in Australia for the House of Reps. And um, so that just seemed like the perfect um, match together. And it was also something that uh, my publisher, Marianne Ballantyne from Wild Dog Books, she had been looking for someone to write that sort of book as well. Yeah, great. I mean, obviously preferential voting is so much more complicated and has very big implications on the outcomes of our elections. So um, I know a lot of adults don't fully get it as well. That's right. I think something that I know about you is that you believe that children's literature has the power to shape the future. Is that? Can you talk a little bit about this and is that sort of part of your thought process about writing a book on preferential voting for kids? Yeah, that's right, because, I mean, although it's got the information content there as well, the other thing is is that it's a kind of microcosm of what actually happens in a, or what you would like to happen in a real election where things need to change. So the kids in your school are not liking how things are going. They want things to change. So they're going to elect, for someone, elect someone who's going to represent them, which is the essence of representative democracy, which is what we should have. So I want 
kids to know that, that that's actually what voting is about. Yep, it's really important that you know how you had a number those um, that you've got to number your ballot papers, and this is what happens um, after we count the votes. But the big bigger picture is is that if you want to affect change in the world, this is one of the ways to do it. It is a fundamental human right. Yeah, definitely, and I think. Um, I've come across people in my lifetime, and I'm sure many people have, that I think would be like, well, kids don't have to vote for until they're 18. Why do they have to think about this now? But I personally think that the agency that kids have is often quite overlooked. You know, kids are their own people. They're really smart. They're conscious. They're creative and often more engaged in the world than many adults. Um, Do you think, like, how do you see it as important to allow kids to have their own sense of agency and self-representation and, like, the awareness that, you know, that they have a role in democracy and that they have a role in the society that they live in? Yeah, I absolutely 100% agree with you on that. Um, It's really important that we don't exclude anyone from our democracy, including kids. And when people say, well, kids don't have to vote, well... One day they're going to grow up and they're going to have to vote. And in Australia, voting is compulsory. So at the very least, they're going to have to vote. But beyond that, it's more about, you know, knowing that this is something really important and that it's you... Um, I hate saying you should know about this, but it's it's your right to know about this. And when you have a look at other places in the world where maybe people aren't so knowledgeable about what their voting rights are or they're not engaged with, um, you know, voting or civics and citizenship and that sort of thing where it's not really taught. Um, I don't want to point any fingers at any particular countries. You can probably think of what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. where things go start to go wrong. It's meant to be a democracy, but things aren't going as well as they should be. And I think part of that is having an educated um, uh, population and your citizens knowing exactly what it is that a democracy means. Yeah, definitely. And I think whether we agree with the current system or not, knowledge is power, right? If you Absolutely. if you know how it works, then at the very least you can, um, you can lodge your vote in a way that it, it means something. Um, I noticed well, in the, at the end of the book there's this outline of the history of voting in mm-hmm. Australia and it's a brief kind of snapshot and I guess something that it showed to me was that the system of voting that we have in this country was largely being driven by colonialism and by originally by men with, you know, in the 1840s was only wealthy male landowners who could vote and it sort of mm-hmm. maps the changes um, and sort of when different groups of people were brought in to be allowed to vote. How hard was it for you when you were writing this book or putting this book together to sort of think about broader politics when you're trying to distill a message for kids? Yeah, so you're sort of talking about things like when Aboriginal people got the vote and, you know, we've had a pretty unfair sort of past and when you look at voting rights, it does it does follow that pattern. It shows you how things slowly change over time. Um I would say that democracy is an evolving thing and it's you know you just you need people to sort of be on it and and feel that that uh, they can be part of it I don't want it to be something that you feel that this is too complicated or it's boring or I don't want to be involved 
um, it's more important that people feel this is actually for them. I mean, you know, the basis of the word democracy is uh, power, um, people having power, or the power of the people. So that's mm. that's uh, the upshot of it. But it's evolving over time. Definitely. And power of the people is a pretty extraordinary thing. And I think it, it does take agency to be able to feel like you have power. So it's great to be educating kids from a young age. What kind of questions do you hope that the kids will ask while they're reading the book? Um, I'm hoping they're going to ask, how do I become a future Prime Minister? <laughs> um, uh, and I want them to question how things are. Things don't have to be the way they are now. So I want them to look around and maybe question, oh, things aren't how I think they should be and how can I affect a change? What can I do to change that? So voting's one way, but there are other ways as well. Perhaps I didn't go into them in the book because I was more focused on preferential voting, but there are other avenues, um, protest and, and things like that, where, you know, things can change. Things change over time. And even with that historical... Um, the little timeline in the back, um, I didn't, I couldn't go into a lot of things, but a lot of those things changed because of protests. Like I'm thinking of the Vietnam War where men could, be, young, very young men could be conscripted to go to the Vietnam War before they could actually vote. And so the voting age was uh, made lower because those people protested because you know, young men being sent into a war when they can't even have a say about who's representing them um, is pretty unfair. Totally, and I suppose what a book like this for kids does is encourage them to read it with their parents and have conversations and sort of start that process of thinking about themselves as active participants in society, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, something else that I kind of noticed while reading the book was that it's sort of um, – it's you've taken the kids on this journey and it sort of feels like it's a bit of a mystery and like obviously kids love games they love playing games and like it almost feels like um it has an element of like you could be playing Cluedo or something and trying to figure out how, how the pieces all fit together was it is it a really different process writing a book for children about a complex issue? Like, how did you go about doing it and what were some of the things you would consider when writing for kids compared to adults? Um, I think the kids, uh, with a picture book, they're really um, one of the things I've learned is that the page turners are always important. What's going to happen next? And I guess you do that with adults too as well. But with a picture book, you're actually mm -hmm. physically thinking about those page turns and things like that. The thing about a preferential election is that it, someone from behind can be elected. Um, so there's that element of surprise there, which is really nice for a picture book. So it, it almost writes itself, really. It was, um, yeah, so it, it wasn't as complex as... I've got another book that I wrote, um, which is another children's picture book, that another empowered female called Supernova, and that was quite different because um, it was purely narrative there wasn't any information that needed to be included so so and it was surprising that the information the book this non-fiction book um was actually easier to write mm, totally and it's it's interesting you know like anyone who sat down with a kid and read a picture book they do live for those that that page turning moment when they look at an illustration they find something in the illustration they want and then they want to see more 
Um, what was it like working, what was your process with Kathy Wilcox in sort of constructing the illustrations to go alongside the words? Like how did that um, really bring it to life? Well, she's amazing, isn't she? I mean, having Kathy Wilcox is just perfect for this book. And, um, I mean, I live in Canberra, so I quite often go to the Museum of Australian Democracy and her work is hanging up on the wall so I can see uh, what she's done. Um, being that she's a cartoonist, she can do these things um, relatively uh, quite quickly because she's a... Um, She's so experienced. And she just did such a beautiful job with the kids, particularly because it's really important. Well, when I'm teaching, I teach a lot of kids from all over Australia and all the classes are really diverse. And she did that in the book with the, the images. All the kids are really diverse. They're not necessarily what you expect them to look like and, you know, following on from most... Um, uh, kind of books where, you know, a lot of the kids are, are white and, you know, are middle class kind of thing and she she hasn't necessarily done that, which um which is great. She's brought them to life. She did a beautiful job. Mm. And when you're thinking about something like democracy and re- sort of that concept, re- having that concept re- reach kids at an early age, you definitely want all kids to feel like they are welcome in that process and that they do have a voice in that process regardless of, um, you know, their race or upbringing. Or, and I feel like illustrations and cartoons can be a great way to engage in that. I also feel yeah. like, um, you know, one of, the, one of the masterful things about a good cartoonist is that they will distill complex ideas into very simple pictures and this book totally does that. So... That's great. Yeah. yeah, no, that's fantastic. Thank you. Um, are you, are you, what are you the most excited about sharing it with people? Oh, I think um, just having something that's really unique. Um, and when people say that they, you know, there are things that they didn't know before that they've found out from reading this. So um, one of the favourite endorsements I got was um, from Mark Humphreys who said that, you know, I wish I'd read this book before I prematurely declared Labor the winner of the 2019 election. So, which is such a, like, I just laughed when I read that, but it is true that we kind of think how, we know how these things work and then once you find out a bit more about them, it's like, ah, oh, that, that kind of exciting moment of finding out something or something that you um, didn't know and uh, and then finding out how it all does work that's very exciting and seeing that for other people definitely and I think I think if adults as well if, if kids share this book with their adults and their lives can understand preferential voting a bit more then perhaps we'll end up with some different election outcomes going forwards um thanks so much for joining me today Chris um, Thank you. It's been a pleasure to have you. Vote for Me is out this August through Wild Dog Books, and as we mentioned, it has beautiful illustrations from Kathy Wilcox. Is there anything people need to know about where where they can find it or buy it, or just be in bookstores? Yeah, it should be available from all good booksellers, including online. But I always like to prompt people buying things from bookshops because you want to keep the bookshops open. Support your local. Yeah, that's and right. it's definitely a good good time of our lives to invest in some some literature. Hey, absolutely, yeah, awesome. Thanks so much, Chris. Thank you. Uh, before I go, I would like to thank my guests for coming in today. Um, we had Chris Saclier, who we just heard from about her children's book that's about to be released called Vote for Me, 
And then at the start of the show, I was fortunate to speak to Benny Sola about the Melbourne Spoken Word Annual Poetry, Spoken Word and Poetry Festival that's currently online. It was a pleasure to talk to both of those guests. This is Beth AQ. Thanks for listening to the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at BethanyAQ or the Triple R website.